Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, a podcast about gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This week we are talking about Bruges. This is Anthony. Hey guys, this is Chris. And this is Dan. This is Kim. Welcome to the podcast, episode 7. This week we are going to talk about Bruges. We finally got it to the table. Um, We're also going to talk about a few other hot games we've been looking at and have taken a a playthrough lately. Um... So, hey, Anthony, besides talking about Bruges, what other incredible hotness are we going to look at this week? Why are you laughing, man? <laughs> <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> this week, a podcast full of surprises. It'll even surprise us. We, can... we don't even know what we're talking about in this episode. How is that different than any other week? <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Welcome to the Unprepared Cast. <laughs> Hi, I'm... Wait. Damn it, I should have wrote something down for that. <laughs> Is it my turn? I'm, I'm Kim. <laughs> All right, so we are just about one month away from Extra Life, uh, about a month and three days as of we recording this. Um, that means we are down to the final countdown in terms of uh, updates, in terms of information. And uh, we have a couple updates this week, not the full list of games that we're looking at. Hopefully we have that next week, but uh, we got a, at least one more um, uh, donation in we want to talk about. Yeah, Z-Man Games was generous enough to give us a few different games to towards our charity drive, and the best is they gave Agricola, which is a game that either somebody will die for as their first prize pick or make their last, last, last pick. Agricola is a great game by Z-Man, but it is either a love or hate. Very few people are like, yeah, why not on Agricola? And it comes with the animeeples. Yeah, I mean, that is a game of serious, serious components. Z-Man loves, just that game is, you know, picking up a tree, the wooden fences, wooden meeples, wooden... Uh, resources. It's a great component game. Yeah, somebody's going to go home very happy. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, unless it's the last game on the block. <laughs> the person who pulls it. No! <laughs> but yeah, we definitely want to give a huge thank you to Z-Man for the donation, and we are very thankful, and we cannot wait to have this charity drive and see you all there. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I just... Uh, if you head to the Facebook page, we just put up a list of instructions if you want to join our team. If you're uh, in Staten Island or in the area, you're going to join us for the uh, event. Or if you just want to donate and be part of the team, um, there's just a step-by-step walkthrough of how to get on the team, how to donate, and how to become part of the event. And once again, 100% of the donations goes directly to children's hospitals. Also this month in news, for your Star Trek fans out there, Attack Wing had its first organized play month. So if you were an Attack Wing Star Trek fan, hopefully you found a local game store where they were holding the event because you had an opportunity to win a Ferengi ship plus some additional attack dice and the Deep Space Nine big cardboard tokens. I've seen a lot of talk about this on Board Game Geek. People are posting their builds, really getting involved, really getting into this. This is a great activity to kind of bring together the community. And since Star Trek Attack Wing follows the Deep Space Nine Um, story arc, it's really a good way to kind of reconnect with that great story and, in my opinion, the best Star Trek series of this current age, not including the original. No, Anthony, did you show up at one of these events with your Star Wars attack miniatures and (laughs) just do a, almost like the... Just to harass them. Yeah, like a Triumph the Insult comic dog, like, you know, like, oh, hello losers, I'm here to win today. (laughs) I decided to use models that look good and are actually fun instead of your game. Like one of those, that would be great, right? No, but that's a great idea for next month. <laughs> so bears the question. Chewbacca versus Spock. <laughs> so there's one other thing in the news this week, and it's about Kickstarter. Now, Chris, you know, we talked a lot about the different board games that we see on Kickstarter and the projects that we want to back. Even though this is video game related, it's something I want to make sure that everyone out there knows about. Okay. So there was a project for a game called Neverending Nightmares. Now, when you back a Kickstarter project, you know, you always figure it's going to be for whatever you put in. But apparently in this particular situation, a guy in Brazil pledged what he thought would be $95 towards the game. Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad. But in Brazil, they use the comma, not a period, when they separate for dollars. Okay. So he ended up donating $9,500. Whoa. Yeah. But here's the really bad part. When you donate towards Kickstarter, your idea is, you know, we're used to like Amazon, mini market products when we order, where we go, oh wait, no, 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 cancel, cancel. Yeah, absolutely. However, the problem is... He was unable to do that because the project just hit its funding. Okay. With Kickstarter, you can only retract one of your donations if it's past its funding goal. So he was only able to get back a few hundred dollars. Wow. Now, the good thing is the community chipped in. One other backer pledged $3,000 to help him recover because this guy was freaking out. He was unable to cover the spread. He didn't have enough money, and there was only hours left. So the rest of the community did get in, everyone up their backing, and he was able to retract back to what he originally wanted to pledge. But it is one thing for everyone out there, when you donate to Kickstarter, just keep an eye on what you put in, because you could be locked in for an amount more than you think you can cover. And like I said, if that project doesn't get past its funding, say it just only hits by 6 bucks and you donated 300 you are in for that 300 So just as an idea for everyone out there, if there's a project you want to make, you know, just take a look. Double check it, triple check it, have your next door neighbor come over, <laughs> verify it's the right amount, then hit submit. Yeah, I know the Dice Tower Showdown just did a podcast about the pros and cons of Kickstarter. And that was one thing one things that they did miss out on was that not only does it develop a community, but the individuals who are backing the game do feel a kinship to each other, and obviously they do here. 
And that's really great that they were actually pulled together for that. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that it was in the final hours, too, is amazing. People must have been diving on that as soon as they saw those updates. But, it, you know, like I said, it, like you said, it's a good thing that it's a close-knit community, but it's also you got to be very careful with these projects when you go into them like that. Sure, yeah, and it definitely offers a lot of benefit, but at the same time, so much danger. Like we talked about last time, with, what was it, the game we were talking about? The, uh, the thing that came to Atlantic City? The destruction, the yeah. Cthulhu that came to Atlantic yeah. City, yeah, basically. Yeah. The soon-to-be-released Cryptozoic Cthulhu. Yes. Like Monopoly hybrid. Yeah. <laughs> so, and one other thing on the Kickstarter news, by the way, is, and this is on the plus side, that Reaper Miniatures have decided to do Bones 2. They want our money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyone that went around the first time on this packing, at 100 bucks, you were getting hundreds of minis. This is one of the most successful Kickstarter stories ever. I think they made almost $3 million the first time around. Unbelievable. So this one, with only five days in, is in the hundreds of thousands. I can't wait to see where this ends. But I figure we're going to go for it, too. Why not? We'll see how many hundreds of miniatures we can walk away with yeah. at the end of this backing. Yeah, I'll be painting for the next three years. Oh, it's going to be <laughs> awesome. You're going to be painting mine, too, so that's going to be even better. Yeah, right? <laughs> Thanks for letting me know. So. I mean, I would do it, but I would rather them have it look good. You know, so... <laughs> you give me 200 minis, we'll see how good they look. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're done. It's been two weeks. We'll create your own personal paint sweatshop. We'll, have, yeah, right? we'll put you in a closet with just a light bulb. <laughs> this one is high-detailed and highlights. <laughs> this other one I dunked in red. <laughs> what's it supposed to be I don't know something red it's red this is the red guy how did you get such a nice blend on the cape well my tears were mixing with the paint so gave a really nice finish it's not paint it's blood <laughs> so that's all we got for the news this week and now it's time for acquisition disorder corner what's got our eyes this week guys We already mentioned earlier that Attack Wing had its first organized play event, and shortly after, WizKids released their first wave of their new ships that were released. Now, you may remember that the core set came out with three ships, but also the eight ships that came out at the same time weren't actually wave one. They were wave zero, so they came out at the same time. So, actually, now we're looking at wave one. So, one of the ships, and honestly, the most important ship, if you're familiar with Deep Space Nine at all, would be the Defiant. The Defiant was the Federation ship that basically the show was kind of based around, and it was Captain Sisko's ship who was the main character of the show. So the Defiant is typically thought of as this little combat ship. It has a cloaking device, um, a really high-quality ship. It was originally, like if you're sticking to the theme, it was originally meant to fight the Borg. So, you know, usually when you think about Federation, there are these science vessels and these, you know, exploratory kind of vessels. This was an attack ship, so it's really a different departure from everything else the Federation has done. So when you look at this ship, something a little different here. So um, it has three attack, um, two evade, three hull, four shields. So pretty, pretty strong for a small attack ship. And its special ability is when you're defending, you can convert all your opponent's crits into regular hits. Now this is really important because if you ever played attack wing or you played X-wing, when you get the crit, an additional special effect takes place that does some really serious damage to your ship. So avoiding that, it's a great idea. So this lets you play like a little more of a defensive style game instead of yeah, you can actually go ship. yeah, you can actually go into you know a real kind of heavy attack and not have to worry as much because that crit usually just ends the game for your ship. That's not bad. Now you mentioned the Borg. Do they have the Borg cube yet? Not yet. Still don't want to play this game. <laughs> 
the, that's what I need to want to play this game. I want the Borg. Yeah, it's funny, but for some reason, well, and I guess for a good reason, it doesn't show up in the Deep Space Nine universe. So that's the Borg is really a next-gen um, kind of main bad guy. I have a question. Now, people who are familiar with miniature games, yeah. for someone who never saw Star Trek or, like, just, like, little here-there mentions of it, but never really, like, got into the show. Uh, is it going to be hard to play? Well, the game mechanic is pretty simple. It's it's the same game mechanic that's used in, in Star Wars X-Wing. And it's actually even an older mechanic. I think it was Wings of War, where you have basically... The base shows you the attack range, and it gives you all the stats. And then you have these pre-cut-out um, forward motions, line motions, turns, and uh, attack ranges. So it's a very simple game. If you've never played miniatures before, this is as simple as picking what t what type of direction you want to go, placing that little um, piece in front of you, moving your ship to that, and then seeing if you can attack. So pretty simple, but in order to really get the real flavor of the game, you should be a fan of it, especially with the Star Trek Attack Wing, because it really does play with its own universe. Now, like the base, it's almost like a hero clicks thing where like all the stats you said are on the base set of it. Now, I got a question for you. Like, when you're playing the game, do you tend to find that you make a more thematic army where you're like, no, man, there's no way this guy would ever be in the same ship? <laughs> or do you just go, well, he has nine firepower. He's my captain. I don't, I don't care if he was a janitor on the show. Yeah, but that's <laughs> the really interesting thing about about the organized play. There's been a lot of talk on Board Game Geek about how do you build your fleet. Now, you can use multiple ships. You can use different crews to kind of build your ships. But for the purists, for the people who do love the show, they really do want to stick to that kind of basic setup. Otherwise, it really doesn't make as much sense as it could be. Yeah, I wanted to be where somebody's like, no, Worf would never be with Captain Sisko. <laughs> I want to hear that at some table. <laughs> well, surprisingly, they have triples. I don't know why triples are in the game, but they have triples in the game. So, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. So you could actually use characters from the original series. So you, so you could put Kirk with Kira and um, Data for some reason. Whoa. You could put them all together. I know, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> So, so you, you can write that fan, you can actually make an army that's your fanfic story that you've been writing for the last 11 years is what you're telling me. Pretty much. Sweet, all right. I yeah, WizKids did a great job as far as putting <laughs> the characters together. So, yeah, and Cisco's there. His, you know, there's been a lot of debate. If you are a fan of the series, do these characters, do the ships really match up with the theme of the show? Do they really, are they as strong or as weak as the show? They're fairly, they're fairly in, the, in a good range. Um, so you should definitely check this out. It's fun to play. And the Defiant looks great, and you definitely want to have this ship if you have nothing else. And one other thing, who was that captain that played as Hercules on that series? Are you talking about Kevin Sorbo? Yeah, that would be the dude. Okay, so he was from Andromeda, Dan. <laughs> yeah, but I want to play with him, just so I can be like, yeah, I have Hercules attack you. His name's not Hercules. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Fine, Beastmaster, I don't care. <laughs> Dan's got all the random syndicated yeah. shows from the 90s. Well, you can play... I, Cisco was Hawk on Spencer for Hire. All right, I'll do that. If you go way back when... I, I just want to play games where I just antagonize people to no end, not knowing what I'm doing. And this is different from every other game how? Well, yeah, I like to stay consistent, you know? People look forward to that, I'm not sure. There's nothing like losing to someone who has no idea what they're doing, Oh, that's right? my favorite thing on Earth. <laughs> Hero clicks. I attack with Thor, Heimdall, whatever. He has a hammer. Let's just do this. Hammer guy. <laughs> MC Hammer, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'll call him Bob Vila. I don't care. I'm winning. 
I think I'm the only one at the table who does, doesn't know anybody from Star Trek. Like, Dwarf and Treble, Trebles. Dwarf? Did you just say Dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> I meant Dwarf! Is that his name? I don't dwarf. know. Dwarf! <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't, it's I, D&D in space. <laughs> I feel bad because I'm the only one at the table. So that would be like... Um, we will Netflix you for 24 hours. We'll make it like a clockwork orange. We'll have your eyes taped open. Oh, God. Get you in enough episodes that you know everything. Next week on Board Games Anonymous, <laughs> Kim spouts incoherently about Star Trek. <laughs> Why would that be any different than in the number <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? <laughs> Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs would be the greatest thing ever. Whoa. And Michael Dorn would play all of the dwarfs. I'm taking down the queen now. Is it bad that I only know uh, Whoopi Goldberg? It's a start. It's a good start. I don't know who what, who she played, but I just know the actress's name, and she was in Star Trek. She had a great hat. Did she? She's crazy hat. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter because Deep Space Nine was stolen from Babylon 5, but... Now I just really blew your mind, right? What is Babylon 5? What? Was there a 1 or a 2? There was. Babylon 1, 2? That came Babylon after Babylon 1, that... 2, 3, and 4. Yeah, that was after the movie Leonard Part 6. Are you guys... <laughs> Are you guys making fun of In me? In the show there was no. Babylon 1, 2, 3, 4. There were space stations. But things happened. But those were boring. So they just went straight to Babylon 5. You gotta watch the show. Okay. So, okay. No, Lost is a totally different show. <laughs> I know Lost. That's with Captain Saeed. No, I know captains. <laughs> All right. So obviously the uh, the attack wing is not your thing. But what's been uh, going on your acquisition to Soda Kim? Uh, I heard that my favorite uh, deck builder, Tanta Quarry, is going to be on the iOS soon. So I cannot wait for that. Um, I'm hoping that the artwork. They're gonna like they're gonna keep the artwork on the cards. Like they're gonna show the full size cards. Like you know how they have an ascension. Yeah, I think like uh, Playdeck is making this one, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, they they do really good with their uh, their iOS conversions. Now the only thing I don't know is, does anyone know if it's going to have all three expansions or just the very first game? It's probably gonna just be the base set just to test the audience. Yeah. Then if it sells like wildfire, then they'll in app purchase for the rest. Probably yeah. just have one. I wonder if they need an age limit for uh, vacations, because, Chris, you saw some of the cards in those things. A little raunchy. I didn't see anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Ta- I denied everything. <laughs> yeah, Tanta Cory had that weird set, though, where it was like, the first set, oh, it's, you know, it's cutesy and it's nice. The second set, okay, you know, it's, it's a trashy mate or two. Maybe the guy's just into it. And then the third set, it's just like, yeah, I just picked them up in the red light district. <laughs> <laughs> you all know exactly what this game is. Stop pretending. Yeah. She had a duster. I'm assuming she knows what she's doing. <laughs> but uh, I know that if some people are a little bothered by it, only for the fact that you're buying maids, and a lot of females out there might not like the fact that... Yeah. And you're buying them with love, which is, you know, that's well, a currency that's only useful in a, a game. <laughs> yeah. Apparently Subways does not accept three love for a sandwich. I tried multiple times. <laughs> you tried five love. I should try that. But uh, I actually also saw on Miniature Market, uh, the Crossmasters Arena... It's 45 bucks now. Yeah, the core game. That's a great price for that game. That game is really good, and we enjoyed it a lot. And uh, and uh, you ordered one of the expansions, too, right? Like the four-pack of guys? Yeah, we got uh, we got the uh, Fire and Ice expansion. And they actually have two more. The Persimal Rules and the... The Remington, I think, right? Yeah, Remington, which he looks awesome. Yeah, we, uh, we picked up the Remington earlier, and I mean, we got it at 22, and we thought that was a good deal, but... 
Miniature Market has them at 15 on their clearance right now. Jeez. Is That's a great price. Can't yeah. go wrong with that. Yeah, it's like close to Kickstarter value at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, like, you look at the sculpts, you're like, oh, well, it's just different color swaps or whatever, you know, like I've seen these guys before, but at $15, you can deal with those guys being only 4 bucks a piece. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah, but like, some of the color schemes now, they're pretty awesome. Like, there's one, Ali McZeal. Yeah, the right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is that really the name of them? Yes. They, they do that with a lot of their guys. Is she, nice? Is she a female lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a couple of names that are like, you know, like Bill Tell. Like, oh, I wonder what you're doing with that bow. <laughs> so, yeah, but that, yeah, I mean, it's not too bad for that price. I mean, yeah. I'm looking forward to expanding our collection and getting a couple more guys in. Yeah, and I like that they actually, ha- it's a miniature game where they come pre painted. You don't have to worry about like um dungeon there was like a dungeon game yeah the dungeon command same thing no no there was actually another one it was it was another miniature game but all the miniatures you have to paint yourselves that really super dungeon yeah that one yeah Yeah, for a hundred bucks you have to assemble and paint pass on that yeah (laughs) i saw the box on that i was like oh that looks so cute i want this and then i saw somebody pick it up and they're just unpainted i was like is this how it comes? And you got to assemble them with glue. Later oh. on, the other oh. expansions, it got smart on that. But they were assembled. That's brutal. Oh. Yeah. yeah, it's like two hours to play, seven hundred hours to get ready to play. I don't mind the painting so much. I enjoy painting, but the gluing is never fun. Yeah, especially, especially on like small. forty-five models or something yeah, like that. It's a lot small, of models to do. Plus, that's another. That's kind. Of, that's supposed to be, or at least it looks like a gateway game. So, like you said, Kim, it looks so cute. It's got those chibis, and you'd pick it up, bring it home, open it up, and just be horrified. Because yeah. this is your first game you ever have, and now you have to glue these little inty tinty tiny pieces together, and then on top of it, paint. That's yeah, which, not a fun thing. And then forgetting all the work, there's the cost because yes. paint and glue is expensive. Yeah. So, so your hundred dollar game just became one hundred and seventy four dollars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And me and Dan were already traumatized from Puppet Wars gluing. It's like after that, I don't want to do any more gluing of the miniatures. Oh yeah, that was that was rough. Yeah. And we're going to have the rest of our unboxing video of that very soon, too. Yes. So, I can't wait to show you guys the details on these minis. They're so good, but they're like the size of a dime. Yeah. So. <laughs> you can see why the glue is all over the table now. Pretty much. So, um, you know, Star Trek's all good and all, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But Fantasy Flight, of course... Be careful with your words. I know what I'm about to say. Look, <laughs> we got Dwarf here. It's going to mess I'm you up. sorry, it's Dwarf. Chewbacca versus Dwarf, go! <laughs> I said Dwarf now, great. <laughs> You're in my hand! No. Oops. Anyways, uh, X-Wing Miniature Game has, of course, new stuff coming out, but this one looks pretty awesome. It is the Imperial Aces expansion pack. Um, it kind of goes with that Lambda ship that came out with the last wave, the wave three. And it's, you're basically getting the uh, 181st Imperial Fighter Wing and the Emperor's Royal Guard. So you can put together your whole little Emperor's Entourage in combat, and it's going to be really cool. Is Jar Jar in it? No! <laughs> and that's why the Never. game is so good. <laughs> Alright, because you know I know nothing of most of the Star Wars Star Trek. The Imperial Guard, was that those red dudes? Yes. The, yes, they look almost like the Cobra soldiers. I'm yes, in! Yes, yes. <laughs> Do they have a... Oh, gosh. Okay, so... Like Star Trek, I don't know much too much of Star Wars. The bounty hunter dude, is he in it? Boba Fett? Yeah. yeah His Slave One, right? Slave One was, it came out with Wave One, I think. Yeah. So, like, back earlier this year, uh, Millennium Falcon and Slave One. 
But those are both still available. They're not. They're actually not sold out everywhere, so you can still get those. Uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. So they're yeah. twenty nine ninety nine. This is also twenty nine ninety nine. Um, they're kind of in that slightly larger. Do you get just set. one ship or two? This is two ships. It's great. So it's two separate tie interceptors. One is like bright red, like those Imperial Guards, and Ooh. the other one has like red stripes. So they look awesome. That sounds pretty sweet. Yeah. Now I got a question because again, I know nothing of these games. If, can I run like Slave One against a couple of your other guys, like you know? like a mix of good and bad or something, like just for balance of game, or is it generally recommended, it's always like... It's kind of good versus bad. I mean, some of the some of the things fit in the middle, but really it, it ends up being, you know, light versus dark. It's a Star Wars theme, yeah. so, you know, the smugglers and the bounty hunters are kind of ambiguous, but they really do kind of fit one side or the other. Is Slave 1 the name of the ship? Yeah. Yeah. No, the reason I was curious is just like point balance, like if Slave 1 is so powerful that three lesser ships would be needed to kind of take it down. Because I know we were saying about, like, we only got the starter set and the one additional time yeah, bomber so far. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it kind of works out the same way with the points. So if you had Slave 1 up against, like, two X-Wings, like the basic X-Wings, you might need another ship in there. Okay. But it balances because they'll, you know, they'll release powerful, you know, Alliance or Rebel Alliance side stuff too. So Millennium Falcon could go up against... Yeah, one, no problem. other than being thematic, there's no reason why you couldn't mix the ships as long as you kept to the point total. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, they might, they do balance out that way. Yeah, I might pick up a slave one just because I saw that model and it does look awesome. It looks amazing. Yeah, it yeah. looks really really nice, and I mean the price point isn't too bad either. No, it's yeah thirty bucks on on MSRP and then I think twenty online. Yeah, like yeah. twenty twenty two. So that's not just wait until the larger capital kind of ships come oh out. My God, the the transports and yeah. And one thing that uh, I saw that's actually pretty surprising is believe it or not, Barnes and Nobles started carrying all the attack wing. They had a full display. So Barnes & Nobles is trying to get in on that board game market and the combat market, too. Sure. I think you can pick them up at Target, too. Yeah, they had a few of them, too. Yeah. All right, so uh, a couple of episodes back, I mentioned bootleggers. Miniature Market, Cool Stuff, all those sites now have it available for pre-order. I cannot wait for this game. It is something I've been looking forward to for a long time. I've been looking online. I saw the older editions. And there's also the, uh, like the Atlantic City expansion. Which I'm assuming Boardwalk Empire helped propel to massive popularity. Probably, yeah. Is that the one with the trucks and you put the barrels in it? Or yeah, boxes? you actually get like little trucks of different sizes to Wait, put your whiskey You get in. trucks? Yeah. So oh. Jack is going to love this game. Yeah, yeah right now I'm like, picking up on my son's obsession. I just thought it was a game about rum running. I was like, that sounds cool, but you get a truck? I want a truck. But what sounds phenomenal about this game is almost a little bit like nothing personal. There's like gangster cards. So you can be like, oh, okay, well, if you want to sell in this place, that's fine. I'm just going to come and murder everyone, and none of your guys will make it home, and then you'll be shut down. So it has that threat mechanic where the other guys that you're bullying are going to be like, all right, got to team up to take this guy down. So I like that concept a lot, and I'm really hoping it keeps all the same scale of the you know the components and everything. But there's no definitive date on this. I'm hoping something soon. Yeah, except for pre-order, I'd imagine, the next month yeah, or two. Yeah, I cannot wait to get my hands on this game. So that's everything uh, we're looking forward to. Obviously, Chris and I will be continuing to face off on Star Wars and Star Trek for the foreseeable future, uh, especially as long as these things are printing money. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back next week with another long list of things we want to play. At the table this week. All right, so this week we've been playing a lot of stuff, but most of it's for future reviews. So we, uh, we played Bruges, and we played Bioshock, uh, Siege of Columbia. So we have a lot of reviews coming up. So in the meantime, we wanted to share with you some of our favorite two-player games with a first-time top ten list. 
All right, so before we go into the top ten, I got a few honorable mentions I want to bring up. Oh, no. No, no no honorable mentions. It's a top ten list. Not a top 15, not a top 20 list. Stick with the the rules, man. Top ten. Yeah, but I mean, honorable mentions, you know, they stand out. It's things that almost made it on the list. Yes, they they stand outside, inside (laughs) the top ten. Take your top 20 outside, sir. It's not welcome here. Okay. Blue Facebook supplement. Dan's top 17. <laughs> Chris like jumps on the comments and yells at him. No! <laughs> top mid-tier second string game. Well, let's get started with the actual top 10, not 11 or 12. All right, all right. I'll let you get in. Mm-hmm. In deference here. Right. Just some podcast, you know, a couple podcasts. We're not going to name them. You know, yeah, try to get a little carried away. Yeah, you know. Listen to their own voices. I think so. A little bit. All right. With the honorable mentions out of the way, uh, how about we hop on the top 10 list? Again, this week, top 10 two-player games. Number 10. The first game on our list, number 10, is Stratego. Well, if you ever played this as a kid, you were actually playing a really fun, kind of advanced game. Now, this spot could easily be taken by your chess or your checkers, but Stratego added a different dimension to this game, because not only did you have that traditional chess stand set up where you had one versus one, and you had the same type of components, but it allowed a a lot of different gameplay. You could play very defensive, you could have an attack strategy, and you never knew what you were attacking and what you were getting to, so really fun, simple, colorful game with a lot of different dimensions to it. Yeah, I mean, that game was around for years and years, and it still holds up to this day, so... Yeah, I love it. I've been playing it since I was 10. Me and my brother used to play it when we were little, and it's great because it's accessible for kids, but it's not... It can be more complicated if you want to really put some strategy into it. Yeah, I did actually saw this being played at the game store recently, and I was just surprised. I'm like, wow, Stratego. Someone's playing Stratego. I remember that was such good times with that game. Yeah, no, I made the list, and now I want to go play. Yes, absolutely. Number nine. Ercola, all creatures big and small. Yeah, so uh, Kim picked it up a couple of weeks back. We decided to try it out, because we like Agricola, but sometimes the game's a little too long. This game is designed for just one-on-one. It comes with the animal builds, which are really cool. I like the fact that they give you pretty good components. And it's not too bad. There's no analysis paralysis. Like, you you know, we make our decisions really quick in the game. It goes about, like, 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, it's a really quick game if you want to do, like, a 15-minute game of 15, 20 minutes. It's really fast. Um, it's really, actually, it's a good couples game, too, because it's just laid back. You're not struggling to attack somebody or, like, you know... It's not like a heavy combat game. Yeah, and each zone is fair. It's not like, you know, you're taking 25 pieces of something and the other person gets one. Yeah. So it's really good for that. Number eight. Crossmaster Arena is next up. I know you've been playing a lot of this lately. Oh, yeah. This is this is a really good couples game, too. Like, um, the figures are really nice and cute. So... Basically, just looking at it, I can see girls getting all amped up to play this, and their boyfriends could be like, okay, we'll play this. And when they actually get into the game, it flows really nicely. The combat's really fun. Like, you you played it, Dan. Yeah, we played it. I mean, and Anthony, you saw, like, that anime style and all the characters, so it's definitely a stylized game. It's easy for people to pick it up and go, yeah, I'll see what's up with this. And all the components, like the trees and the crates, it gives, like, a nice feel and a nice look. So it's very interesting to play the game. And what's really nice is it has a surprising level of strategy. So you can go casual, and you can actually get a little hardcore with it. Yeah, that 3D game board is great, and it's one of those games that looks like, um, you know, basic. Like you said, you can make it really simple, or if you want to go out and buy a ton of expansions and customize and play it and 
the nth degree really could. So it's a lot of replayability there. Number seven. Lost Cities. Uh, this is a game that I actually saw on other top lists for two-player games when I was researching this back a you know, long time back when I was first starting to play board games. And it's basically a very simple two-player card game. Um, you get a hand of cards, you lay down the cards, and you try to get the most points in like different colors. Um, without going too deep into the mechanics, it's just it takes maybe 30 seconds to learn, 20 minutes to play, and uh, it's replayable in a lot of different ways, but it also has a nice theme to it with that whole you know hidden jungle explorer type thing. Um, it also has a pretty cool app uh, for the iPad if you want to learn how to play or if you just want to pass and play, and that takes even less time to play through because you don't have to worry about the cards. Yeah, those app games are great for that, especially like... You know, every so often we'll break out a couple of different games on there just because you can play them so quick, no cleanup. It's really good for, like, one-on-one also. The pass and play with two people is fantastic. Yeah, honestly, we should have a top ten two-player games on the iPad because, well, most of these are going to be on there eventually, but there are some that just play really well that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Number six. Next up, Castellan, a brand-new game from Steve Jackson Games, which all three of us just purchased. So it definitely had to make the list. Yeah, we have to thank my miniature market for their deal of the day, fifteen dollars. Not a, not a, you know, talk about a great deal, and we instantly all jumped on that. Yeah, I mean, the game looked really interesting when I saw you guys playing it. I wanted to check it out, and now we'll have our chance in a couple of days. I can't wait for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this game is great for two because it's, uh, you know, it's it has a lot of replayability, but it's not super in depth. You don't, there's not a ton of expansion or variability in terms of the setup of the game. Um, it's always going to set up the same. It's always going to play through the same, but it's quick. And every time you build out that, you know, castle fort of yours, it's going to look different, and it's cool. So it's like a 3D inter- interface there. Yeah, it's a really fun game, really simple to learn, and it'll hopefully pretty soon have a four-player kind of expansion. But once again, it's the same game. So once you learn the base game, you know how to play the four-player game, too. Number five. The Duke next on our list uh kind of an upgraded amped up version of chess if you want to compare it to anything so automatically you know it's a good two-player game yeah this is a great game it has really nice wood components and a small kind of sorting bag so pretty much each tile that you pull kind of like a deck builder has a different action to it based upon whatever character it is then when you move the piece you flip it over and it has a different action so small board you're only playing a couple of tiles really fun you can kind of break this out anywhere Especially the small coffee shop. It's really a good game for that. Yeah, as you mentioned, when you flip the tiles in the Duke, I like the idea that so you don't know what your opponent's doing, so it's kind of like harder to strategize because you're kind of like going in there blindly. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I like this game so much is, you know, like chess, like we're, I think we are saying earlier in the podcast, is very... Um, strategic, but not really as tactical, so... Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, if you memorize all these different strategies, you could play against anybody, but with the Duke, I mean, you could memorize what all the tiles are, and that helps you in a two-player version, but if you're just playing, you know, you don't know what tiles are going to come out, because you're pulling blindly out of the bag, and uh, it's, it's going to be a different game every time because of that, and you could play the long game, you could play the short game, you could blitz, you could sit back, it can be a 10-minute game or an hour game, I think the box is 15 to 30, but... You know, and I've played everything in that range and double that. So, and then there's cool like little mini expansions that are going to start to release too, like things like Robin Hood themed. You know, they sure. have the names and then the the movements of those pieces will be themed around that. And they even have the blank tiles where you can actually make your own tiles. And yeah. that's the part that I like the idea of the most. Yeah. That you can just be like, oh, they should have a piece that. Wait a minute, I can just make the piece that does that. And it comes with the stickers to do it. 
Yeah. So you literally fantastic. have everything you need. You can just buy like the extra tile kit, which I think is like eight bucks. Yeah, that's a great job. Does it actually come with a clock where you hit the time, like in chess? Chess clocks. Yeah. <laughs> no, but that's a good idea. That'd be awesome. And yeah. <laughs> time. You avoid the AP because. <laughs> Although, the, you know, because you're pulling the tiles out of the bag, you don't have a lot of options, so it's you're not going to spend too long thinking. Yeah, yeah. I still got to get in a game of that with you guys. Time to try that out. Fantastic game. Number four. Mage Wars? Number four. Yeah, Mage Wars, I mean, I really enjoy it because it's really thematic. You have that nice little spell book as you're flipping through, trying to figure out how to outwit your opponent or what secret creatures you're going to summon or what fire blast or whatnot you're going to do. You actually get to feel a little, you know, even though you're geeking out with a little plastic spellbook, it still feels really good. And the tacti- the tactical options are there, the game is there, you know, the artwork stands out. It's a very fun game, and I really enjoy it as a one-on-one. It does take quite a bit of time. I hear that it could go up to, like, three hours, but some, like, I played one of the games. It was just, like, a quick game. You used half the board, and, like, even, like, I can see playing half the board... Every time I play. Yeah, the Apprentice version. I feel like the only way that game can go three hours though is if you play from the uh, from Mole Man on The Simpsons, where it's like, I play this. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, I the full games that I played, I only got on a couple, but they were about like an hour game, so it's not too bad. Yeah. You know, it may not be a in between breakout game, but it is something to. I think part of that extra time though comes in building out the spell book. Uh, if you have spell books ready to go, sure, you play in that hour. Yeah. If you're sitting there and like, oh, what cards do I need? And how am I going to play this? And I don't know what this particular mage does. It's going to take forever. Which is fine, but then it's not a game you would just whip out and play with your friends or a couple's game unless you're both really into that theme. Yeah, and I, I do like that, unlike Magic, you have it all out there. You're not getting random draws. So if you need that one creature card and you keep struggling land and land and land, you have everything accessible for you. Yeah, and what's fun is you can play different every time. You can... And it's um, you play a game, you can be like, oh, I don't like this guy anymore. Uh, this, I'm tired of casting this spell. And just switch up your book a little. Yeah. So it's a lot of replay. It's a fantastic game if you're looking for something that's longer than like one of these shorter games that we've been talking about, but super deep and just infinite replayability. Just a quick warning. I've heard that, like Magic, you have those move, like certain like strategies and moves that just basically wants you to burn the game. Yeah, like that tournament style. Yeah. Yeah, that's why you just gotta... You gotta be careful with who you play with. If you see anyone that has with. a book nine inches thick of all their additional Mage War cards, then you don't <laughs> play against them. Yeah. And a, a little quick personal suggestion, get a couple of those, like, Reaper, uh, you know, miniatures, have that on top of your Mage card, oh. so you get to feel like your Mage is there. Yeah, I wanna I like do it. that. You put the Hero Clicks on there for us when we were learning, and that was cool. I'm That'd like, be awesome. I want my minis. <laughs> yeah, right? It, it helps, it, you know, a couple of dollars, and you get to add a little more theme to your game. I like it. Number three. Alright, so number three is Star Wars X-Wing Miniatures or Star Trek Attack Wing. We're bunching them together. I feel like this is almost a top 11 now, Chris. I don't like this. Well, it's it's the same mechanic. <laughs> it's pretty much just a different paint job. You still have the same cards, same game type. It's just a different theme. And dwarf. And dwarf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it really is kind of the same game in terms of mechanics, in terms of how it plays. It's... You know, there's going to be different things based on the cards and the teams you put together and the scenarios and all that stuff. But really, honestly, if you're choosing between them, and you know, we, we'd make a lot of play out of this. But it's really like, what theme do you like better? If you like Star Trek, go with Attack Wing. If you like Star Wars, go with X Wing. And um, is there any like hardcore players that just like get so 
into the game that if you do something that's not of the norm, you're like, you ruined the game for me. Like, you ever get that? One of the iffy parts of the game is while you do have these prefab movement templates, when you pick up your ship and then try to move it to the other side, it is possible to bump it a half inch, a quarter an inch, or even you know a centimeter, and that could dramatically change the game. And people kind of get upset about that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. yeah, it might be better off like you know you always got to know the person you're playing with. Like that's a, it seems like a game that would be great for friends. And a great way to destroy your love of that franchise if you want to play it in oh, mess totally. adversarial arenas. Yeah. Same thing like it's what you said with Mage Wars. If someone pops out like a, a jumbo tool box out of the back of their car full of like 800 miniatures, you're like, just walk away. Just walk away. <laughs> yeah, when they press a button and the box starts unfolding itself and lays out the box. Yeah, exactly. And they like, you know, primed it and repainted it to make it look even better. It's like, okay, okay, this is... <laughs> Can we play something else? Yeah. But, like, it's really cool, though, because you buy, like, say, the starter kit of X-Wing, it's 40 bucks. You could play that just with those three miniatures in, like, 15 or 20 minutes, base rules. So it's really accessible, you know, couples-wise, or even just people hanging out at the game store. Um, but, again, it comes down to, like, if you like the theme, it's probably one of the best miniature games around in terms of entry level. For number two, we've lumped a few together, uh, the basically the Fantasy Flight LCG uh, suite of games. But at the very top of that list, which includes things like Game of Thrones, the Warhammer LCG, uh, Star Wars... Netrunner. Netrunner. Um, they're, all, they're all different, they all different rules, but it's all that whole same LCG idea. But at the top of the list, we're putting uh, the Lord of the Rings card game. Yeah, I think what this one that stands above the rest is you, you get to play co-op, so you really do kind of bond a little bit that you're going on this thematic mission together. You can make up your decks together to kind of balance each other out. So it really has a good synergy with the two players. And it's not just, I'm playing alone against you. We're playing together against something that's bigger. Yeah, like most of the co-op games are like bigger games, like Flashpoint or, you know, like where it's like four or five players. So it's kind of nice to have just a, this is made for two people to be going against this. And you can play it one player too. Sure. But I do like the two player on that. And in general, like the LCGs, Netrunner, if you like the you know like that cyberpunk theme, that fits it. The Game of Thrones, if you've been loving the series or the books, that fits it. Like all these LCG models, there's pretty much something for everybody, which definitely is a standout feature. Absolutely, yeah. and the artwork is great, the card quality oh, yeah. is great, and there's enough new missions coming out that if you do have a spouse or a partner or somebody that you just want to or a best friend you're playing with often, every couple of weeks, every couple of months, a new deck's coming out, so you could always take on a new adventure. Yeah. And at that price point, it's great to be able to just throw a couple of dollars and just improve your gameplay experience that much more. Definitely. Yeah, there's something awesome about the LCGs for two people. Um, I have two. I have Star Wars and Game of Thrones, and they're both great for two players. I, you know, whip them out at any time. The Some of them play longer, some play shorter. Game of Thrones is pretty long. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, can you can whip through in about 40 minutes. I think that the, again, what, what kind of sets up the Lord of Rings a little bit above that is if you either both don't know too much about the theme or, or too much about the history, since you're playing together, you're not really at a disadvantage. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, that, and it's also like, you know, Lord of the Rings, it's really easy to explain to people. It's like, hey, you see those things? They're trying to steal their stuff. We That's need right. to get away from them. All right, cool. Game's explained. Let's play. Yeah. yeah. And finally, our number one. All right, at the very top of our list is one of our favorite games in general, uh, Summoner Wars. Yeah, Summoner Wars has been a long-time favorite of mine. 
There's so much variety of that game. That base set comes with six different factions. I think in total there's 17 amongst all the sets. And what I like about the game is, if you want to go in deep, you can customize. You want to just pick up the base decks, that's totally fine too. Your strategies, even though you're starting up the same setup for every race each time, your play options, your play strategies, there's just so much to this game that stands out. And I think this is the number one couples game because the way you play it's like chess like the duke but you have much more variety where you have a summoner and you have to take out the other person's summoner and like it's back and forth yeah and like I you guess... really feel like that summoner is like your general in the field like some of them are yeah. they have to get up in your face other guys you just want to hide in that corner and pray and I think what's really unique about the game is the races really do play differently. Oh, yeah. So you can definitely, even though it's a two-player game, there's enough different races where you can find your own style in one of those decks. And if you can find any style with any of the goblins, I'd love to hear about it. Hit us <laughs> up on Facebook or Twitter because uh, I just can't win with those guys ever. I played against everyone using different races. Stomp, stomp, stomp. It's always bad. <laughs> yeah, what's up with the goblins? Someone's got to like them. So they have to win somewhere. Like, I can't yeah. imagine they made two of them if they don't win. <laughs> yeah. This game's famous for its balance-ish. I mean, but yeah, I mean, I have this game as well, and uh, it's one of the few heavier fantasy theme type games that my wife actually likes to play. Um, probably because it's quick, but also because it's a lot like chess, and it, you get that whole uh, kind of strategy feel to it. Plus, I think she also likes it because she beat you. Oh, well, you don't have to throw that out there. But. Well, well she beats you like I, you owe her money. <laughs> right? I actually liked it because the first game I played against him, I beat him. And, and then the second game, I beat him. And, and the then the third. third game, and then the fourth. But the fifth, he cheated. <gasps> yeah, I oh. read the cards. No. Oh, oh, no. Oh. No, he ate my walls. He got rid of my wall. Oh, so mercenaries. I could, I could that's when I got the mercenaries from Cool Stuff. <laughs> I could not put out anything, and that's why I lost. So he cheated on that game. No, so it's I, also you threw away your other two walls because you wanted that mana for your champions. I did not do that. <laughs> and once again, like just like Magic, where you're kind of facing off first one opponent, at least with this game, you have a set deck, so you're not at a disadvantage when you're playing against somebody else. They have your their deck, you have your deck, you're really set to go. Yeah, and I mean, it just, and every race feels good, like, you know, the game plays easy, and it also follows that rule, as we said, when you've got to be able to explain the game by the time you're done setting it up, you can do that with this game. You're moving three guys, you're attacking three times, you're getting rid of cards, then you're going to play cards. It's that easy. And you're done. Yeah. yeah. And this this also goes on the list of awesome iOS apps. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah I, I've gotten probably about 100 plus games in on the on the iPad since it came out. And ever so often, you'll look online a dollar for each additional race pack. You can't go wrong with that. Yeah. There you have it. That is our top ten for the uh, best two-player games. Uh, Summoner Wars at the top, where it very much deserves to be. Um, followed by uh, Fantasy Flight LCGs, Star Wars and Star Trek miniature games, Mage Wars, The Duke, Castellon, Lost Cities, Crossmaster Arena, Agricola, All Creatures, Big and Small, and Stratego. So that is everything this week for uh, At the Table and uh, our top two-player games. If you have any two-player games that you like that we did not mention, please do share with us on Twitter or Facebook because uh, there are obviously a lot of really good ones out there, and this isn't meant to be like the only good ten, the only ten good two-player games. This is our favorites. Hey guys, this is Dan from Board Gamers Anonymous. 
Now, we always ask you guys to subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Facebook. And I know you don't really do it. I listen to about 15 or 20 podcasts a day. Whenever you listen to them, it's like, oh, subscribe. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that later. And we know you're thinking, I'm going to hold off into the holidays. I'm going to do it as a gift for them around the holidays. But here's my personal call to action. I am asking all of you to subscribe, follow us on Twitter, go into your sister accounts, your brother's accounts, hack into your parents' computer, subscribe on theirs too. Because this Thanksgiving at the table, when I look next to my sister who deals with international commerce banking and transferring millions a day, and my brother who's currently a lawyer, and I look at my other sister who helps charities and builds houses for the homeless, and my parents look at me in disappointment and go, so Daniel, what have you been doing since last year? I want to be able to say that I have been part of the 15th greatest board gaming podcast with our dozens and dozens of subscribers and followers. Help me look my parents in the eye with a sense of pride and dignity and help me shut up my siblings. That's my personal call to action, folks. And now for the feature review. It's Belgium in the 15th century. The first stock market opens its doors. All of Europe has its eyes set on the wealthy and influential city of Bruges. Bruges is a game by a designer, Stefan Feld, from Z-Man Games, in which you get to do a number of different actions, abilities, and skills to show your worth in the city of Bruges. Now, we talked about this game a little bit sooner, and it's unlike any other game that we've played up to this date, because the actions... While they do have some mechanics in common with other games we played previously, as far as card drafting, dice rolling, worker placement, it touches on everything just a little bit and gives you a flavor of what it must be like to actually influence and build a city. Rouge, what you're looking at is a small board of the city. This is a standard victory point game in which you're going to take a number of different actions to score victory points to move your city to victory. On the outside, you have your standard victory point track, which you'll start off at five victory points, and now you have a number of options to take place. The main mechanic of the game is you'll have five cards to start off with. Each card has a number of different actions which you can take. You can take two workers. Those workers will allow you to build a building. On the other side of the card, you will see a building with one victory point. In order to build that building, you will have to expend one of the workers of that same color. You can also take the coin resources of the dice that's been rolled. So if you have a red card and a red die has a number six on it, you'll be able to get six guilders, or in other words, six coins. You'll also be able to discard a threat marker, and we'll talk a little bit about that later. And when you do, when you do discard that threat marker, you'll be able to get one victory point for that. Another action you can take with that same card is build one canal token, and you also have to pay the, the coin cost or guilders cost that's stated on the board. So it starts off with a 1 and then moves up progressively to a 5 to complete that entire canal. You'll also, as I said earlier, be able to build a house, and then last but not least, you'll be able to recruit one person. Now that person is going to require a gold cost, again, guilders, for that person. In addition, you'll also need a house to be built previously in order to be able to place them in that house and then be able to perform that action. In order to perform the action of the person, there's a couple of different things that they can do. So you will see on the card in particular 
there's a downward facing arrow that allows you to take an action immediately. There is also cards that have a little worker colored matching the possible meeples that you have in, in your area that once you place the worker as like, like a worker placement action you'll be able to activate that card. In addition there's also you have a little infinite loop which will allow you to use that action throughout the game. And finally you'll have a little laurel icon which is a final victory point card that you'll be able to use to score extra points. Each of these cards all have one of these icons on them. In addition, they'll also have their, cl their class on the bottom with a little token. That comes into play with many of the different cards. Okay, so now let's talk about game setup. At the beginning of the game, each player takes five workers, one of each color. These are the smaller meeples that will be used to either activate a card or to build a building. You also take five guilders. You take two seals of your color one large seal that you place in front of you to show everyone what your color is and the small, the small seal will be placed between your two canals. That denotes the fact that those two canal sections are yours. In addition, you'll be able to use two player pawns. One player pawn, these are the larger meeples, one will be placed on the victory point track at the five point marker as we talked about, and the second will be placed at the reputation track. As the game goes on, you'll be able to score rep reputation but we'll talk about that later. You'll also receive three majority markers. Now the majority markers are tabulated at the end of each turn to show who has the majority of either canals, personalities, or reputation. And that's the basic step for that game. Now on the rest of the board you'll see a number of interesting spaces. So as we mentioned, the reputation track is somewhere where you're going to def definitely pay attention to. When the game starts, you'll be drawing cards up to five to begin the round, and then another five as each round goes on. When you first roll the dice, you'll see ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, and six, your standard D6. Any ones and twos are added up, and that's what the cost is to go up one spot on the reputation marker, and that counts as victory points at the end of the game. In addition, any fives or sixes those count towards the threat that is acted towards every player in the game. Now, out of the six dice in the game, each one of them has different color. So if you roll a blue, you'll get a blue marker if it's a five or a six. So that's something to keep account of because if you get three threats of the same color, that threat takes place on that player and then you lose something. As far as the threats are concerned, the yellow, the raid, will, ha will cause you to return all your guilders to the bank. Once again, that's your money. The flood forces you to return all your workers to the supply. The fire, remove one of your houses or canal tokens. Pest, discard one of your people. Or purple, which is intrigue, and you lose three victory points. So your dice match the reputation track, so the, like the ones and twos. The threats are the fives and sixes. Threes and fours you don't really have to worry about. Now, as the game goes on, these dice are going to play more and more a big part as far as what the threat becomes and what the reputation comes to. Now, taking a look at the board again, we can also see that there are canals. Each canal, and as I said earlier, when you place your seal, you'll have ownership of two full canals. You'll be able to place little canal markers, these little pieces of, of blue water, in the canals. Each of 
portion of the canal is a different color with a different cost. As I said earlier, going up to one to five. You need to discard a card of that color in order to be able to build that section along with the cost and guilders that's for that section. When you hit the, the third part of the canal, you'll score three victory points at the end of the game. If you're able to get lucky enough and skilled enough to get to five parts of the canal, you'll be able to take one of the statues. Now, the statues are, are in the middle of the board, and they score from seven down to two. And that'll be able to give you victory points at the end of the game. So if you're going to build canals, build them quickly. As we talked about earlier, there's also majorities. So at the end of the game, you'll be able to score those points. But as each round goes on, you'll be able to flip your token over if you have the majority of the reputation, people, or canals. So that can change multiple times in the game. But once your reputation's flipped, you're set for that game. So during the game, you'll see a lot of racing to try to, try to see who can get those first. So as each round goes, you'll draw up to five cards, play your cards, and this is where the real flavor of the game comes into play. You'll have a lot of different roles of people back in that age. You'll have artists, you'll have knights, you'll have royalty, you'll have merchants. Each of the flavor texts or action texts there is really reflective of the game. Sometimes the soldiers will protect or score you points. Sometimes the merchant scores you money. And sometimes the royalty benefits off having other royalty of their same type. So there's a lot of variety there as far as what cards you get into your hand and how they play out during the game. This is really the best part of the game. So you'll take these actions and play your four cards each round until the end of the game. Now the game comes to a, starts to come to a final stop when one of these two small card draw boxes is empty. At that point, you'll take the extra deck, place it in that box, and that'll start the, the last round. And at the end of the game, you have final scoring. So each person has a printed value just below their coin cost. Each house counts as one victory point each. There's also benefits from the cards. Remember we talked about that, the laurels. There's also the majorities that count for four points each. The canals, if you hit the three mark, you get three points, and obviously the statues, which are great. The reputation, you mark where you reach on, on the steps, and then always the tiebreaker is the guilders. The winner, who has the most victory points at the end of the game, is the most influential person in Bruges. So now let's talk about Bruges. We just finished playing it. Dan, what'd you think? Uh, I think you barely stole a victory from me by two points because of that special scoring guy you had at the end of the game. But it is an amazing game. I actually like it a lot because they found a way to make one card represent five resources instead of you have to get from this pile and go for here and go to there. I love the element of how the cards interact. Come on, Dan. Don't be spiteful. <laughs> All right? Just I had it, man. I had it. Just because I could pronounce Bruges. <laughs> That gets me a victory point alone. When you steal my points, I do get spiteful. I do. <laughs> Is it bad that I wanted to call it Bridges? Does it sound like Bridges? Bridges? Okay. Yeah. Felt like you had a grudge just... the way you were taking all those worker meeples. Well... <laughs> Kim was playing her own game. It was I had a strategy, and then I veered off. So that's the thing. When you play games, when you have a strategy, stick to that strategy. <laughs> because if midway in the game you're like, huh, this strategy isn't working, let me move on to the next one. Then you kind of see you're stuck. You're not. You know you're not going to win because you're at this point. You're just mixing everything, and it just goes bad. Yeah, Bruges is bad. not a good game for the ooh butterfly syndrome where <laughs> you start working on your one tactic, and then three turns later, I like buildings instead. 
Well, the one good thing about the game is with each card, you can take a lot of different actions. So you can fluctuate, but yeah, if you have a plan going in, you'll benefit a lot greater. Yeah, and I mean, that's the one thing I like about this game too. It's If you do have to change at your midpoint, you don't feel stuck. It's not like, oh, I made a mistake getting those canals. Because you can still finish them off towards the end of the game. There's no setback or holdback. It's just a temporary move. So you can do a lot of planning in this game, and you can also just play by the seat of your pants too. You know, it's like you can just freeform your ideas, and that still works pretty good. I mean, that's what I was doing. I was only two points behind first place. The only thing that I don't like is when you draw the cards, it's you. it has, like, the different colors on them, but you, you're not going to be definite of getting, like, a red or a purple if you need it. So it's like, if those cards will never show up, then you kind of, you know, you kind of stuck because... I wanted to build more canals, and I needed blue or red, and every time I kept on drawing, I couldn't get any. And then when I did, I didn't have the money to buy the canal, so like that's one thing I just don't like about the game. Yeah, that's one thing with what Kim is referencing. In Bruges, when you draw your cards, there's going to be two trays of cards, and they're all facing the same way, so you'll know the color of your card before you pick it up. So say you need a red card, and the left tray is purple, and the right tray has red, you can draw from that. The only thing is sometimes you'll get it where it's like, hmm, do I want purple or purple? And then you'll draw that card, and the next card is also purple. So sometimes you do feel yourselves like locked in a little bit, but also it lets you know that that turn, that gives you something to work for. If you have four purple cards in your hand, beginning of your turn, if you don't want to use any of them, cash in one purple card to get two purple worker meeples, the next turn just build two houses. So there's no bad hand in Bruges because everything lets you get versatility. And also what you'll be able to do is you, you can play four cards, but you can still hold on to one. Yeah, which I did in the beginning. That queen card was unbelievable. Um, so some of the characters, you'll notice, have a range of anywhere from 0 to 12 gold. And their cost corresponds to their power. Take, for example, at six points, there's a firefighter. You can use um, a red meeple to just get rid of one of your fire threats, and you get the victory point. So instead of having to discard the red card, you get to cash in the workers. But the queen card I had was a 12 point, a 12 gilder, sorry, card to buy. Any card that had an immediate action, she made resolve twice. So when I would play a card that would give me a red worker and two coins, I was getting two red workers and four red coins. So the people victory was the way to go for me because I was getting so much income from just that queen's ability. Yeah, the game has a good mix of uh, luck and strategy, which I think a lot of games, you know, they try to straddle that line, they don't always pull it off. I think this one does it well, because you start each round with the dice, which is great, and then you have the quasi-luck of the card drawing, because you have the two colors there. Maybe the one, if the one you need is not on top, you have to pull until you get it. You don't know which side to pull from. There's that element of luck, but it's not pure luck. So maybe you do see the color you need, and you pull it. Um... So there are a lot of things like that where you're not always going to, you're not completely giving up, you know, your next move to fate, but at the same time, there's always, you can get, you know, I had two rounds where I literally couldn't do anything with my last two or three cards because they were all blue or purple. I'm like, I don't need blue or purple for anything. Plus, I noticed the people who like the game were usually the ones who are close to winning, and the people who do not <laughs> like the game were basically dead last, right, Ant? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not... Now, do you think the game's terrible because you didn't get first place? Or... <laughs> no, that's the problem. Is when I don't like a game, that I lost. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I need to play more. So to make sure I actually... Like, is it the mechanics or just that experience? But, I mean, I had fun playing it. 
But I'm not a huge fan of these games that feel solitary. I mean, there's very little in the game that you interact with other players. and But you have to pay attention to what they're doing to yeah, actually but, schedule it. You're, it's like Seven Wonders. Like If you're not paying attention to what other people are doing, you're like, I'm getting tons of points, but they're not enough because someone else has more. I don't like that, and there's not and, enough interaction. And that was one know. thing I caught on halfway through because when Chris had two of those milestone markers flipped over, we knew he was going to get eight bonus points at the end of the game. I started looking out like, oh, okay, you know, uh, like the take, for example, the influence track. I was one behind you guys. I didn't think it was a big deal. But when I had that guard that let me go up one marker on the influence track and I got to resolve him twice because of the queen card, I was like, now I can get the four bonus points for the end of the turn. And once I got that, I didn't care about the influence track anymore, but I wanted in on those four points. So I see what you mean about, like, you do have to keep looking around. Like, the interaction on the game, it seems almost a, a little more, like, gotcha style. Like, the cards that interact with the other people are like, hey, everyone, guess what? You now have a flame marker. I'm an arsonist. Yeah, but it only came out once. I mean, it seems like there aren't that many cards that do that. I had none in my hand the entire game. I I actually, that's the one thing, too, I noticed. Like, um, with the way I was playing, I may have actually had those without even noticing. Because I would just look and go, I got a yellow worker. This is the yellow card. I need to make a house for one of my people this turn. Yeah, I guess I could have missed some, but, yeah. Yeah, I was really low on the workers that game. I was, with one of my people, every turn I was able to take one worker meeple of my choice. So I was never cashing in cards for the abilities. I was just constantly building houses. So half my cards I didn't even really read. I was just like, I need a house. I need a house. I need a house. So it could have been, I could have actually had cards that could have really swung the game, but I was too busy going purple, good, need purple for house, and not really looking at that part. Yeah, that's another thing where I kind of like love and hate the game. I hate it because you need a house in order to recruit somebody. Because usually when you play games, you don't need a place for the person to live. You're just, you're just there. But I like it that it gets that more realistic aspect where you kind of have your own little town. You need houses and you need people to live in those houses. They can't just be on the street wandering around. That's why I like it. But at the same time, I don't. Now, just out of curiosity, was your favorite part that the first players decided who had Belgium chocolate most recently, and that's always going to be you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Working your favorite. Those little uh, seahorses that you eat have come in beneficial to this week. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, it's a classic Euro. There's a little interactions, a little got you stuff. So I had a couple of cards in my hand. I played one, but I didn't play the rest. As far as I brought everyone down one step on their reputation track. But they're typically a little more expensive. So this is kind of like making your way through the city, building up your own power base. But as Dan said, you kind of keep track as, as far as how everyone's doing on victory points. I think at one point Dan had no canals and ended up with the most canals at the end of the game. Yeah, which and again, that's what I like about the game. It does have a nice wide range of variety that you can do throughout it, and you don't feel that you made the wrong call. Like if you started out going for people and later on, this is one other thing I actually noticed too. Uh, this game actually lets you make engines. It made me feel like Spirium uh, at one point where I had the guy that every turn let me create a worker and then one of my people was for a red worker, I get three coins. So technically I had a Spirium engine going on in my city which made me happy. Yeah, your setup is great. And you know, this game, like I look, you know, looking at it, having played it, there's nothing I, look, I can see, and I'm like, oh, they should have done this, or they should have done that. It's a really well-made game. The theme is fantastic. Like, it's really well implemented. The art is great. I just didn't like it personally as much. So I'm having a hard time being like, oh, it's because of this or that. I'm guess, you know, From my perspective, I guess, if you don't like those games where you feel like you're playing by yourself until the very last turn, 
maybe you won't like this, but honestly, I can't think of anything wrong with it either because, like you said, there's so many different ways you can play, and I really like that part. Um, you know, at any point, I could switch back and forth, and it works fine. I just have a question. Uh, since I didn't hear Chris mention it earlier, what do you think of the artwork? Because you're big on that with most board games. So I'm just curious. Because honestly, for me, it's pretty dull. Yeah, but... our resident uh, professor of components. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you think. Well, first off, I like the graphic design. The cards are clearly stated. Um, typically, when games go with iconography, it typically it's a really hard, rough, tremendous kind of jumping back and forth through the rulebook, trying to figure out what you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, the graphic design is nice. You have the picture of the person that you're playing. You have the coin that's actually inside the coin. The victory point marker is standard throughout all the different spots on the board and the cards. And the different actions are on a little little ribbon strip on the side so you can actually tell what are the different possibilities with that action and it's color coded so the yellow buildings have the yellow card on the other side and when you look at the meeples the meeples are yellow so you're not going to be confused with oh I can take any color meeple but no just yellow here and the same thing with the die the die is yellow the thread is yellow and the house is yellow so it really kind of gives you a nice standard to kind of play by the artwork you just basically have the person so it's a it's a nice it's a nice, decent drawing. Um, it's it's of that age. Nothing spectacular, but it's 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 nice. It's it's better to have that than just have nothing at all. It's true. Yeah, I, it looks almost like a brush art work style, and I kind of like that on all the cards. Like a couple of beggar and merchant cards I had, they looked a little grimy. Why the princess and all them looked very regal, which I thought was a nice turn. Also, the board looks great. You know, it's not too overwhelming and too interactive, but. It just has a really nice art design to it. it. It feels really good. I love the board. Yeah, the board is amazing. That was actually one of the first things I saw that made me want to play the game. Because the box just looks like another Euro box. It's Bruges. It's 16th century Europe again. You know, it's it's nothing special. But then you look at the back, and the, the board looks pretty cool. Yeah, and I like the, uh, the draw trays, that they're actually angled a little bit, so the cards fall back, so you don't have things spilling out, and nobody gets to, like, cheat a peek at what the next color is going to be. Yeah, it's pretty well designed. And the wooden dice, too, I actually thought was pretty cool. Because the only other game I saw that used wooden dice was um, Garden, Garden Dice. dice. Mm. And also, Kim, you finally got a purple die and purple meeples. Yeah. yeah. Well, it couldn't be a purple meeple, though. That's what I'm saying. When people have to pick their colors, they should have it where it's purple. They have these two discs in the game, right? One just lets you know which is the marker, uh, what color you are. And then the second one, you place on the board to find out where your canal will be. It looked purple, the two little discs. And that's why I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be purple. But it was blue. <laughs> I would like it. You were betrayed. I was. <laughs> By the lighting. <laughs> yeah, this is not a friendly game if you're colorblind, we should say. Yeah. There I is a lot of color coding here. There is no shape shapes at all to that one thing i would have loved on component is if the seals for each of the different color players had a different like family crest it's all the same image just different color that would have been phenomenal you would have actually felt like that regal lord yeah but now you're just playing too much game of thrones that you want game of thrones crests on there i don't even understand what too much of game of thrones means i just <laughs> <laughs> i do also like with the graphic design the threat markers on one side it actually has like the picture of the threat so 
you see a fire, but on the other side it shows you actually with the icons what actually the fire does. Yeah. So it destroys a building or destroys a canal. So you can go a little bit more theme as far as what's playing in front of you, or you can flip it over and go a little more explanation. I would have loved it if they were actually, uh, to represent the circle, if they were different sizes. Where if like the first one it was somebody with water up to his ankles, <laughs> then the next one it's at his waist and he looks a little more panicky. <laughs> then the third one just hands. You're fulfilling this collage. Yeah, exactly. Well, the a only, fancy flight dial. <laughs> the only thing that doesn't make sense is if you have a fire and you get a flood threat, wouldn't the flood put up the fire? Like that's the only thing. It's <laughs> it's like what? realistic. You can put people in your houses, but if you have a flood and your house is on fire, it's still gonna be on fire. <laughs> The fire destroys the canals, so yeah. <laughs> the well, so water's used up for yeah, the Yeah, they fire. had to empty it out, you know. You have to use the bucket cart to make sure you know. <laughs> I'm sorry, Z-Man, you're director of game continuity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, uh, the coins, too, like, the coins are pretty good. They're at least different sizes, which is always a bonus. Yeah, going back to our Spirium conversation. Oh, my God, metal coins in this game would be so nice, though. Yeah. Oh, so, some nice heavy gilders in your hand would make you really feel like that merchant. But the uh, cardboard quality is a nice stock, and it's thick throughout, so not, not disappointing there. The dice are nice, as we talked about, and the little boxes are cute. It would be nice if there was some way to kind of close the small boxes so that the cards wouldn't have a tendency to kind of fall out when you pack the game away. Yeah, you might, you might have to like put a baggie around them or something like that, or you don't want to have to keep separate deck boxes in that just to unload the deck box into those trays. And also, I noticed like a lot of people like to sleeve their cards. You won't be able to sleeve your cards if you keep it in those little boxes, because oh, yeah. it's not going to fit. It's yeah. possible, but probably highly unlikely. Yeah, you have to get the really, really tight yeah. ones. Yeah, like you would have to probably use like the penny sleeves, just because yeah. they're so thin. Then you would be able to, and even then, they may not fit in that tray anymore. Yeah, it might slip out really easy. Because you handle them a lot, and you the do. cards that you handle more, you you'll see a wear. So. Absolutely, because those cards are you're playing them in your hand. You're building them they're going in front of the table in front of you so they, it does get a lot of use yeah but that's like genius by Z-Man's part like make a great game that's really fun and accessible where every card you have to handle multiple times <laughs> wear them away with your greasy hands my children <laughs> buy another copy won't you the only other little small fall down is the box insert it's just basically squared off in the four, four quadrants so it's usable I guess but it could just as easily just been an empty box yeah, I mean, I guess, like, the idea is, like, you know, it looks like it actually has space for, like, expansion ideas. And that's one thing I like about this game, too. I can see it being ripe with expansions. Yeah, you could definitely you know? put another expansion pack for the, just the different personalities. Or, as you said, different houses. Maybe each house would have a special power that yeah. they can activate during the game. That would actually be a pretty cool addition. I was going to say that... Or more interaction between the players. Because, I mean, Pandemic ended up getting two expansions. So Z-Man's not a company that's against going for expansions to one of their bigger seller games. Oh, Absolutely. And this game seems really accessible. I can see this one starting to pick up more and more momentum as the year goes on. Yeah, and for the complexity, the price is pretty good too. It's forty nine ninety nine MSRP, um, and for the amount of stuff you get in the box for a Euro style game, it's a pretty good price. Yeah, they can definitely take out these decks, and like with Agricola, you could have like a Z deck or something, where there's a mm -hmm. lot more interaction or even different artwork if they wanted to. Yeah, oh man, I would love to see it do a crossover with like nothing personal, where it's like <laughs> gangsters roaming into your uh, your city in Belgium. Yeah. Bruges <laughs> Underworld Edition. The, the Belgium gangsters, eh? I'm bad with accents. I don't know what. Uh, I don't know what a Belgian accent. Try. <laughs> All I know is they have waffles. Better and delicious. This game should have came with chocolate. Oh my Look, God. if Z-Man's going to put coasters in one of their games, why not Belgian Belgian chocolate or waffle coasters? <laughs> 
waffle. Oh my god! <laughs> and then what is the about the coaster? <laughs> that would have been the greatest coaster. It looks wait, like a waffle. Wait. Chocolate waffles. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this game, like I said, I I didn't really run into it for a while because you know I'm like ah you know I played a lot of Euros lately. I don't really need to jump onto something like this. But having played it, I actually had a blast. I'm looking forward to the next time of this too. Yeah, you guys only played the first time, so I think you know multiple plays you'll actually get more of the flavor and get to see more of the cards. Uh, you don't play all of the cards because just the way the hands kind of go out, so you don't get to see all the different synergies that come together. This is my fourth time playing the game, my first time winning the game, and I've just lost by a couple of points each game. And our game was actually pretty close. So I think as you play the game, you get an idea of how to play it. Yeah, I'm hoping so. I'll play it again. I don't think it's one of those games that I play the first time and I want to burn it. Um, I just didn't love it right out of the gate. So it's, I think it's, it is one of those games, I think, where because there's so many things you can do, like Kim said, you need to pick a strategy and run with it. And I didn't think I did that until a little too far into the game. You don't know how many rounds there are going to be. So you can't like be like, all right, we're halfway through the game now. Because you don't know that. Yeah, because that the, really affects it a little bit. Like Chris mentioned earlier in the walkthrough, the way that the game ends is one of the draw piles, when it runs out, you use a little stack of side cards to fill that tray so there's still options. But if people keep picking from that one tray, this game can actually go really short. Or someone can intentionally drag it out where if they need time, they'll draw from the tray that they don't necessarily need but has more cards. So it does give an interesting variable like that. Yeah, and the reputation track has eight slots. We played eight rounds, and we almost drained both sides. So I think if you use basically all the cards, you're going to run the eight rounds, eight or nine probably. Um, but it, like you said, if you just went through one side only, you could probably do it in four or five rounds yeah. with four people. So like when you were saying uh, how like you weren't really developing your strategy until a little later in the game too? Yeah, like the third round. Yeah, this was the first time I ever saw a game where you can like buy influence and victory points, and you didn't do it. When you said no, I was like, what What? What happened? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> I thought I had a strategy, and I was like, that's not going to... Well, the problem was, once you fall behind on that reputation track, it's hard to catch up unless you have a card for it. Like, you had a card that jumped you up two. And, that, so and, that's I, one and thing, I had a card drop you down one. Yeah, yeah, so that's true. But the one thing that's good is the reputation track is still victory points at the end of the game. Yeah. So even if you aren't getting that lead card that gives the extra four points, you're still getting something out of it. So it's never a wasted venture. And if it's ever just one gold or two gold to do it, it's almost always worth doing unless you definitely need those coins for an end to turn maneuver, like you have to build somebody big or something like that. Because the, the payout in the long run seems totally worth it. I think on the highest end of that uh, reputation track, you can get 12 victory points. That's like a Kim move, just getting 12 points in one sweep when nobody's looking. That's a what move? It's a Kim move. You always do that little sneaky at the end of the game, like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know what I'm doing. Bam, 40 points. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's with games I played before. I haven't played this one before. So. Yeah, but now I know what you're going to be doing later. <laughs> and that's one thing I do like about this, too. I like the fact that you cannot necessarily go into it every time going, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to always go for canals first. The canals are the secret. Because you might be giving up incredibly powerful cards just to build that canal that if you build early can be warranting you tons of victory points. Like, you can't have that, well, I'm just going to do people. I don't care about the rest of the board. Because if you get garbage people, they're not going to do anything for you. But maybe those extra two statues from the canals, you're looking at over 20 points. Yeah, the hand of cards really do determine how you can play the game, and it does alter your strategy. So everything's worth points, so it's a, it's a bit of a victory point salad. But if you play your hand right, if you pick the right colors, you can kind of generally follow a particular strategy. But in the end, you want to do a little bit of everything. Yeah, exactly. All right, so uh, Dan, what do you rate this game? 
Uh, I I am definitely enjoying it. I like the variety. I love the art. Has a lot of options. I'm actually anxious to play it again. Like I think this is definitely gonna have to hit the table again later today. Uh, I'm gonna say that if you like resource management games because this game has so much versatility, definitely check it out. It could be dangerous if you have friends with analysis paralysis, but like I said, I mean, there's really no bad decisions. It's just maybe maybe not your best choice. So I would say it's a definite play. Yeah, I'd have to say um, it's a must play. Even though the the uh, the fact that I lost tremendously, I wasn't sure if I was going to play it again because I was last place. Yeah, but you didn't lose like tremendously. Yeah, I, mean, I lost tremendously. You only lost by like 38 points. No, I scored 37 while you were like 100 and something. No, we were like 59 and 62 yeah, it wasn't or something. Hard. How, how how far does the... the it goes, 50, 50 it goes to 50. You're thinking you... Lords of Waterdeep. I am. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's not far in Belgian, Belgian chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I lost minimally. Yes. <laughs> well, it's your first time playing, points Yes, nothing. exactly. That's why I wouldn't mind trying it again. And if anyone who who plays this game feels like it's just like a lot... just It's a lot to take in because there's so many things that you can do. And if it's your first time playing it, and you lose, you'll get like dead last. Just take a breather, try it again, because maybe the second time I play it, it'll go a little bit better. Like now I know, pick a strategy, stick with that strategy, and then next time I play it, I was like, okay, maybe I can try this strategy. So I would say it is a must play. Yeah, um, I'm in, I'm in between right now. I need to play the game more. <laughs> I'm leaning Dodge just because I can think of other games I'd rather play that are not necessarily exactly like this, but like that frame of mind. Like Scoundrels of Skullport, which we still got to play again? Yeah. Or Spirium, which, like from last week, I love that game. You know, I would, if someone said Spirium or Brood, I'd say Spirium every time. And I'm, you know, and they're not the exact same game, but that's like the mindset I'd be in, you know, sitting and analyzing what cards to pick up. Um, but that said, like on an intellectual level looking at the game I'm like this is a well made game and there's a lot going on there that I'd like to experiment with just to make sure I understand A understand what's going on and B uh, get the most out of it before I make that decision so you know I'm going to say play it um, with those caveats you know if it ends up being every time I play it just feels like that solo variant there aren't a lot of times I like playing those kind of games you know well this game one of the things we haven't said yet is at least for the Euro market, this is probably a light Euro game. There really isn't a lot of things that you're managing. There are a lot of things you can do, but you're not managing farms and having to pay for, your, you know, feed your workers and things like that. So it's a really simple game. So if you haven't gotten into Euros yet and you've been looking at them, especially since most of the Euro games kind of have this, as Dan was saying earlier, this kind of generic box with some European-esque 15th, 16th century people kind of in the background of a city. This is actually a nice game to start with. It'll teach you some of the basics. You have some card management. You have some drafting a little bit. You have some rolling of dice. A little interaction, not a lot, but typical Euros do have that kind of solo mechanic where you're building your own little world. For me, this game, it's it's tiltering on a buy. Um, I definitely would play this again, and I would recommend playing with others because once you kind of get to play through the cards, like Spearman, I think that was the same thing. Um, the first time we played Spirium, you don't know what's coming up next, and you don't understand the possibilities, so you're just kind of like, there are these cards, and I should buy all of these cards, because I don't know what's coming next. 
So for Bruges, it's a little bit the same. There's a lot of different possibilities. Dan had the, was it the Queen Dan? Yeah. That had like that double action, oh, that which was, was awesome. just amazing. It's like, I get to play two and two and two and two. And it was really, it was really stacking up. Um, so there is a little random luck element on what cards you get into your hand. Now, while you can pick the colors that'll benefit your buildings, your workers, the, the, the dice in the future, you're not really sure what the personality is going to be unless maybe in the future if you had a real card counter mind and, you know, these guys come with this color and I can move them this way. But otherwise, it's a real diversity. It's really random kind of people who maybe you'd walk into back at that period. So if you're into Euros, try it out. I think you'd like it a lot. If you haven't gone to Euros, I think this is still a great game. The components are great. The artwork is great. And I think you should definitely pick this one up. Great job uh, for Z-Man Games. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you said you were thinking about picking it up. I mean, we might have to look into pulling our resources together to get this game as a permanent part of our collection. <laughs> yeah, Stefan Feld really hit this one out of the park, at least for a nice intro Euro game that doesn't hurt you, doesn't cause AP. You're really just playing through it. It's a light game. Have a good time with it. All right, and that's our review of Bruges. This is Anthony. This is Chris. This is Kim. This is Dan. And until next time, we'll save you a seat at the table. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.